0: And good morning, Ridge Point Church. Really glad you're here this morning. and I love the celebration. When we had baptism, I heard everyone cheering afterwards. I love that, because when we gather together and we see people make those life-changing decisions and those steps, we love to celebrate those things. Uh, how many have ever been surfing before? Has anybody been surfing? Has anybody successful in surfing? Let me ask you <laughs> that way. Because I learned something. I, I think if, if, if you're a large guy like I am, surfing is probably not the sport for you. Uh, unfortunately, I learned that the hard way. I didn't have any intention of going surfing, but one year, we were kind of doing a family vacation getaway at a family reunion, and we're meeting Beth's family up in Nags Head, North Carolina. We rented this big house, and when we got there, they said, part of the rental is, we give your family the use for a surfboard all week long. And I said, I can't pass this up. It's free surfboard. Let's go try this out. Now, a couple of things. First of all, I grew up on the Gulf Coast in the St. Pete Clearwater area, and there were no waves at all. That's not true of the Atlantic Ocean. There are actually waves there. And the second thing, this was the week before Memorial Day. In Florida, that's great. That's beach time. In North Carolina, it's still really, really cold. At least the water is. And, and so we got there, and the rest of the family was like, no way. We're not even going near the beach. It's too cold. The water's too cold. But Beth's middle brother is, is crazy enough to try this out. So he and I were like, let's go do this. And we had this giant surfboard. It was about 10 feet long, was really wide. It was this big, huge surfboard. I don't know if that helped you or hurt, hurt you when you're trying to surf, but I said, we got this big board, let's go do this. And, and so we got out to the water, and, and we kind of were taking dibs on who went first, and, and somehow I won or lost, I'm not sure which. Uh, but I ended, up, I ended up going first. And so we get ready, and they have the little strap they put on your ankle so you don't lose the surfboard. Probably the worst decision I ever made was to put that strap on. Uh, So so I get strapped in. I get ready to go. And I had seen enough surfing on TV to kind of know how it worked. Uh, So first of all, I take a step out in the water, and it's freezing. Like, I'm like, I should not even be in the water right now. But I step out in the water. It's cold. And we kind of start to build up. uh, Okay, we'll get in a little bit further, a little bit further. And finally, we kind of jump in. All right, let's go do this. And so I start to swim out past the break because I knew you had to do that. So I swim out past the break. And, and I start paddling. It's a little bit awkward, but I'm kind of getting the feel for it. And then I see a wave coming. Not a giant wave, not an overwhelming wave by any stretch of the imagination for anybody else who'd surfed before, but for me it looked pretty impressive. And so I see the wave and I start paddling with it. I kind of knew what you're supposed to do, feeling really awkward at this point. And then I go to, to make the, the point where you got to jump up and actually stand on the surfboard, which is the hardest part of the whole thing. And I go to stand up and everything goes south. Like I go to stand up, I lose my balance. I fall off the surfboard, and when I fall off, I actually fall off like on the other side of the wave, but the surfboard's still in the wave. And so at this point, that thing that was supposed to keep the surfboard attached to me and tethered to me is a bad idea because the wave pulling the surfboard, it's this giant surfboard, and I'm kind of getting dragged behind it wondering, is this how I'm going to die? Like, is this, is this going to be a terrible newspaper article? Like, a guy from Florida drowns in the water getting dragged by a surfboard. I'm like, I could just see this. And, and it wasn't that bad. It was really quick because, fortunately, God was gracious to me. And the, the thing was old. The, the thing was old. The Velcro was old on it. And actually came off and went up to the, to the shore. And at that point, my brother-in-law looked at me and said, I don't even want to try. <laughs> it's too cold. I'm not even getting out to get the surfboard. So we stayed in the water and said, that was our only experience Surfing. Now, the truth was, it wasn't overwhelming. It wasn't that big a wave. I was safe the whole time. But in the midst of that, it, feel, it, it felt insanely overwhelming. And I think a lot of times, the stuff that we go through in life can, can appear that way. It can feel that way. We're going through stuff in life, and maybe for you, it's something you're going through right now. Maybe it was a bad relationship that you're in, or maybe it was a job that you thought you were going to get the promotion and you didn't. Uh, maybe it was a diagnosis you weren't looking forward to. All these things that kind of hit us out of nowhere, those things can feel in the moment really, really overwhelming. The good news is if I could take a snapshot of my life now, and I can look at my life five years from now, in five years I can look back at my life now, I would see the situation really isn't all that overwhelming. In fact, five years from now, some of the stuff we're going through is going to be something we can laugh about. But right now, in the midst of it, it's really, really difficult. And that's how life is. So we're doing a series right now, kicking off this week, called Overwhelming. And in this series, our goal is to do a couple of things. First of all, this week we're talking about what do we do when life starts to feel overwhelming. It's going to be similar but different from week three. In week three, we're going to kind of go be more proactive in this and say, how do we overwhelm our circumstances? Week one is I don't want my circumstances to overwhelm me, but how can I gain the strength to know that I can be victorious in the midst of those circumstances? So week one, how to overcome how to not be overcome by our circumstances, and week four, how to overcome our circumstances. Right in the middle, we want to talk about, with next week being Easter, what it means to be really overwhelmed, be genuinely overwhelmed by a God that is really overwhelming. Uh, so with that as a backdrop, I want you to do this. If you have your Bible, so open up to Isaiah chapter 43. We're going to look in the Old Testament, at this prophet Isaiah, and, and we're going to see this, this idea throughout Scripture, but especially in the Old Testament. God knew that his people, especially in the Old Testament, were dealing primarily with the, with the children of Israel, the nation of Israel. And so God knew his people were going to experience calamity in, in, in their life. He knew that from time to time bad things were going to happen, just like they do today. And so he started to give them some, some symbols of the calamity that they were going to face. And so throughout, throughout Scripture, but especially in the Old Testament, we see some of these symbols of calamity. And I actually have them up on stage with me today well, in, in some way. Because he uses two symbols throughout Scripture for the calamity people face and the first one was fire and we know because if you've ever seen a fire a fire can very very quickly st- go out evidently <laughs> try that again fire can very very quickly consume that which is trying to consume and so it is in life that sometimes when we face those calamities those things that can feel like fire because they can start to consume us, and if we're not careful, at a very, very rapid pace, they consume more and more of us. I'm going to go ahead and put that away before I get burnt, because we, want that, we don't want that to happen. But we know that fire can be really, really overwhelming. If you've ever seen a fire in, in a building or in a house, you know how quickly that house can be gone once it catches fire. And so God says, I want to use this as a picture of calamity. I want to use fire. But also in the Old Testament, it's ironic that he uses this, because sometimes water is used to put out the fire. But also, we know that water itself can be overwhelming. Now, not in a small amount, but in a large amount, water can be really, really overwhelming. If you've ever had a near drowning experience and you're underwater, you know that that, that experience is, is suffocating. You're gasping, wanting to have that next breath, and you can feel really, really overwhelming. Fire can, can, can capture us, can rage, it can, it can consume us, but water is Overwhelming. About a decade ago, I had a chance to take a youth group, a group of students, to Gulfport, Mississippi, right after Hurricane Katrina hit there. And and we were able to go on the beach right where the eye hit. Now, there was other devastation. If you went miles in, you saw the wind damage, the rain damage, all that stuff was true. But actually, on the shore, for the first 10 blocks, once you got to the beach shore, the first 10 blocks in, we walked that. And to see the devastation that didn't happen because of the rain or the wind but happened just because of the storm surge and this giant body of water just took over 10 blocks and wiped out every house. We walked it and this was a couple months afterwards. We walked it and they had a lot of the debris cleared up But there was still devastation as far as you could see, and none of the houses for the first 10 blocks existed at all. They are all wiped down to the foundation. The only thing that was left was foundation, and there were some pools where literally the stagnant water had set, and that was it. And to look, and for 10 city blocks to be able to see everything flat because of the devastation of water, we saw firsthand how overwhelming water can be. And so God throughout the Old Testament is saying, I want my people to understand that circumstances, stuff we go through can, can, can consume us, it can overwhelm us, so he uses fire as a picture of that which consumes us, and he uses water as a picture and as a symbol for what overwhelms us. And right in the midst of them understanding that idea, he says this in Isaiah chapter 43, picking up with the second half of verse 1, and I want us to understand as we read this, this is a promise given specifically to God's people, to Israel. And yet, I think it speaks to the character of God. And so it's applicable to us today, even though the promise is specifically to them. He says this, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. He begins with a command, a command that is prolific in, in the Bible. He begins with a command to fear not. We know even as we get to the New Testament, the angels appear, heralding the birth of Jesus by beginning by saying, fear not. Fear not. Throughout Scripture, we see this command. In the midst of your calamities, in the midst of the stuff that you're going through that feels insanely overwhelming right now, God speaks and says, fear not. Don't have fear, for I have redeemed you. I have bought you. I have paid the price for you. I have called you by name. I know you. I personally know you because you are mine. And the promise he gives, talking about the devastation, the calamities we face, he says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that as they're reading this, or as they're hearing this from Isaiah, he's saying the rivers, pass through the waters, I'll be with you. The rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. They understood that. During the Exodus, as they're traveling away from the Egyptians and they get uh, to to the Red Sea, God parts the water for them. And he says the water is not going to overwhelm you. I'm going to be there with you. And so as they hear these words from Isaiah, as we read them, it's a reminder in the Old Testament of how God was faithful. And he said, I've already done this in your life, but know that when those things come, whether the real calamities that you're facing here physically or whether it's the trials that we go through individually, when it feels like the water's overwhelming us, when it feels like the fire's consuming us, trust that I am with you, I'll be there with you, and and through the rivers I'll be with you, they shall not overwhelm you. And then he says this about the other calamity, about the fire. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. So the water and the rivers are not going to overwhelm you. And the flames and the fires, they will not consume you. And sometime later, we see this throughout Scripture, but sometimes later we see uh, a couple of guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that refuse to, to give in to the custom of the day. And because of that, they're put in a fiery furnace, and yet God protects them. And God provides for them. And so we see this in the Old Testament. We see these stories and say, well, that's great for them, but they were special people and God had his hand upon them, and that's all true, and yet they were normal people just like us, going through life and facing trials. And we might not face rushing waters physically. We might not face and We might face fire physically. But in reality, a lot of our situations often feel that way. That's why when we speak about getting burnt out in a situation, we understand what it's like to be consumed. That's why when we speak about being overwhelmed, we feel like, man, the panic attack makes it feel like I can't breathe, because my circumstances right now appear really, really overwhelming. And so God gives us these two physical reminders of what it's like when we go through the the trials that we face, because we have a choice in our life. I'm either going to allow my circumstances to be overwhelming, or I'm going to trust the one who overwhelms those circumstances. And it seems really easy to, to talk about it. Like even as we talk about it in church, we mentioned this in the first service, but even as we talk about it in church, it seems like, okay, I know the right thing to do. I know what I should say. And yet when I get in the midst of those difficult circumstances, it seems so much harder. And I want to tell you this, if you're in the midst of that circumstance right now, whatever that circumstance is, if it's one of those things where you weren't expecting, and you say, man, five years, five years ago, I couldn't imagine my, la- my life being like it is now. And all these things hit me at once. I felt this barrage of these attacks on my life. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I want you to understand this. It was not an accident. Whatever you're going through right now, if you're in the midst of that overwhelming circumstance, it is not an accident. God knows what you're going through and he knows the reason why you're going through it. And so today as we transition to the New Testament, we'll look at some scripture in 2 Corinthians As we make that transition, I want to talk about some specific situations that we might be in and how do we respond to those situations. How do I respond when I I get information I wasn't expecting? How do I respond when, when, when life seems to be unraveling right before me and I feel like I don't even know where to turn, I don't know where to look for those answers? How is it that I need to respond? Because if I got to a spot in my life where I realized how great God was. If today, if I'm saying already where I'm at right now, and this might not be everybody and that's fine, but if your story is that right now I'm following Jesus with everything that I have, at some point you came to the realization that most of us I think need to come to and that is that if, if we we're to gather a thousand people together and we we're to ask them what is the greatest need that you face right now in your life and what is the greatest need you ever faced? If, if we asked a thousand people from gathered from across the world, we gathered people from all continents and said let's gather together and ask what is the greatest need you have or what's the greatest need you'll ever have people talk about a lot of different things they would mention some specific physical needs Uh, if you go on any international trips you know we'll travel to places where people don't have food where people don't have water And so you don't ask that person what is the greatest need that you have and they're going to say well my greatest need is I need water or I need food if you ask someone else what is the greatest need you're ever going to have they'll say well I'm battling cancer right now and the greatest need I'd ever have is for my health to be restored and you know, ask others, well, I have the psychological need that I can't get past. That's the greatest need. And people talk about the greatest need they ever have. And yet, if we're honest, if we're real, for 1,000 people, the answer is going to be the same. The greatest need we have is a spiritual need. For every single person, the greatest need they have is a spiritual need. And when Jesus comes in and spiritually transforms our life, it's not about him taking a bad person and making him a good person. It's about him taking a dead person and making him a live person. And that is the greatest need. As much as we take care of physical things, that's important. The spiritual transformation that happens when we recognize who Jesus is, and he takes us from being a dead man walking and giving us life, that is the matching up of our greatest need. And here's my question. If I can trust God with my greatest need, why can't I trust him with whatever I'm going through right now? You can go ahead and you can write that down if you have to, because that's, that's a big idea. If I am choosing to trust God with my greatest need, then why can't I trust him with whatever I'm going through right now? Because right now it might seem really intense, but it pales in comparison to what he's already done in my life. And if, he've proven, if he's proven himself faithful in my greatest need, then don't I need to learn to trust him <clears throat> in whatever it is I'm going through now? If you have your Bible, slip over to 2 Corinthians. I love this. Paul here is writing to a church that is inconsistent at best. They go through some very difficult times. And he's writing to this church, and he, because they're inconsistent, he actually writes to them at least four times we know of, two times recorded in Scripture because God inspired these words. But at least four times we know of he wrote to this church addressing specific needs. And right in the midst of that, he says this. In verse 8, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. He doesn't list what the affliction is. He says, but we went through something in Asia. We know specifically by reading scripture, he had some particular afflictions that he had. In, In Ephesus, there was a particular affliction he might be alluding to here, but he doesn't really get into that. But he says, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers. We want you to know about this. We did experience affliction in Asia. And the affliction was so bad, he says this, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired spirit of life itself. So he says, whatever affliction it was that they were going through, they were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. Whatever it is that they were going through, they said, we did not have the strength ourselves to get through this affliction, I think most of us can understand what that's like. We go through something and it's really bad, and we say, I don't have the answer for this. I can't figure out the right solution. I'm not strong enough to get through this. And Paul's writing, one of the greatest Christians that ever lived, and he said, we were going through this, we were so burdened, we were burdened beyond our strength, so much so that we despaired of life itself. We thought this was the end, we thought the, the, the finish line was here, and he says, he continues on with that line, that, that line in the beginning of verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. So whatever they were going through, he says, listen, this is how bad it was. We thought we were going to die. We thought for us this was the death sentence. We thought it couldn't get any worse than this. I didn't have any way out. I wasn't strong enough. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't fast enough to get out of this problem. And I thought this was the end. For every one of us, if we're going through that type of life-changing situation right now, God's trying to teach us that that is true. We do not have the power ourselves. And instead, we felt like we'd received the, death, the sentence of death. But with one word, everything changes. With one word, we thought we were gonna die, but. But that was to make us rely on not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He says, see, this, this, this battle I was going through, the affliction that we had, we we're trying to work it out ourselves, and we weren't strong enough. And because we weren't strong enough, we thought this was the end. But I've learned through this whole thing that this was done to force me to rely upon God, who, which I wasn't doing prior to this particular situation. And he says, so I've learned that because of this, that was to make us not rely on ourselves, which is most of us what we tend to want to do, but on God who raises the dead. And God had done that physically. We see Jesus raising Lazarus from, from the dead. We see Jesus himself being raised from the dead. God had raised people physically, but for everyone, whether they'd seen those situations or not, for everyone that called on Jesus, they realized he'd taken a dead person spiritually and made us alive he says, I'm choosing to align myself with the one and I'm choosing to trust in the one who has the power to raise people from the dead. And if he has the power to reach them in their time of greatest need, then whatever it is we're going through right now, he's got the power to do that. You see, I think sometimes we we, we understand mentally what it means to, to say, okay, I want to trust God in the midst of that difficult circumstance. But yet in life, it gets harder to actually live that out. It gets harder to say, yeah, I want to go ahead and do that, and so I want to live this out, and I want to follow Jesus, and I want to trust him. And, and so we sit there and say, I think we don't, we want not ever verbally say this, but we think, well, our situation, God either doesn't know about it, can't care enough about it, or he isn't strong enough to do something. And I'm here to say that God does, God can, and God is. And so God looks at the situation, I think sometimes we say, well, that was an oop situation. God didn't even know that happened, and God says, I got this entirely. And you have to trust the one who has the power and who has raised people from the dead and then it says this he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us he said God has proven himself faithful we are going through this really bad affliction we thought we were going to die and he's proven himself faithful by delivering us and I continue to trust that he will deliver us on him We have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Because God has proven himself faithful in my life, I'm going to trust him to prove himself faithful again. Because I've seen that spot where I had my greatest need, and God said, I'm going to come in and meet your greatest need. I'm going to change you from who you used to be to who you are. I'm going to take you from being a dead person and making you a live person. And if I choose to trust God in that greatest need, then it just makes sense in my life that I need to start to learn to trust God in the midst of the stuff I'm going through right now, even as overwhelming as it can be. Because I'm either being overwhelmed by my circumstances or I'm overcoming my circumstances. I'm either being overwhelmed by the stuff that I'm going through or I'm choosing to trust in the one who overwhelms all circumstances. So how do we make that practical? Because I I think most of us would say, yeah, well, I want to do that. It just kind of makes sense. We're at church, and if I'm in the midst of my calamity, I want to be able to trust God and say, I know this this situation feels overwhelming, but I want to make it through. But how do we do that? How do we make that practical? There's three things. If you want to write these things down, these are just three practical ways. When I'm facing those difficult moments, how do I make sure that I don't go leaning on my own strength, but that I start to lean upon God's strength, that I trust Him to overwhelm my circumstances? Number one, and this is going to be very simple, and yet really, really probably the one most people mess up, Number one is, is just wait. Wait on God to reveal to you what you're supposed to do next. But just wait. Most people, when they experience a really, really bad situation, they want to react quickly. They experience, they get bad information or they, they get a, a relationship that's really, really bad. And what they do is they say, I need to react and, and make the next decision really quick because I start to feel like I'm overwhelmed. Again, growing up on, on the Gulf Coast, I remember we used to have signs up all over the beaches about riptides. Anybody ever seen the signs about riptides? And you know, a riptide will, will suck you back out to, to, to the sea. And, and so you want to make sure, like whenever the riptide happens, and, and I've seen people who've got caught up in this before, when the riptide happens, it starts pulling you out really quickly. And a lot of people, the first reaction, most people's initial reaction is, I want to fight this. I want to try to fight against it. I want to swim against it. And all that does is wear you out. You're never going to be successful. And so all the experts say, and and even though we have this voice in our head saying, this isn't what you should do, everyone wants to fight against it. All the experts say, don't fight against it, but instead allow it to take you out. And as it's taking you out, swim kind of parallel to it or perpendicular to it and try to swim out of it to the side rather than going directly into it. A lot of times in life, that's how our problems hit us. They're kind of unknown, they're 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 unexpected. And so as soon as we start to feel the, the, the current rushing against us, our response is we want to react and we want to go and fight against that. And all we do, we're fighting a battle we're not going to win. And we start to make bad decision after bad decision. And what happens is we have this event, this, for us, what feels like an overwhelming event. And then we make a series of bad decisions after that. And it takes us longer to get out of these series of bad decisions than we do to get out of the situation that appeared really, really overwhelming. And all of a sudden, we have all these bad decisions that only make the problems worse, And now it takes us that much longer and that much more work to get out of it because we reacted and we didn't just wait. Whereas when I see people who in the midst of their calamities, they say, okay, I need to wait. I need to wait on God on this. And time brings about maturity. And as the maturity comes, the answer that they should be following becomes so much clearer. The people who react too quickly don't see that because they didn't have the wisdom to just wait and see what God had for them. The second thing is this. First one is we want to wait. The second thing we want to do is we want to pray. And, we, and when we pray, someone want to join us, I think. Uh, when, when we pray, we want to make sure that as we pray, because it's not just as simple as, hey, everybody, let's pray for me, because a lot of our prayers tend to be, we want to focus on not having the calamity happen in our life. And so if there's something bad happens, our prayers guide. Rescue me from this calamity. And sometimes God is saying, wait a minute. It's what is happening in your life because of this overwhelming situation that is making you be where I want you to be. And so our prayer shouldn't always be, God, rescue me from this. But instead, as Paul said here in verse 10, remind ourselves he has delivered us from such a deadly peril. And he will deliver us. When I pray, some of my prayers, God, remind me those bad moments that I had in my life. I know that you were there and you rescued me from them. And so God, as I pray, as I talk to you, I want to be reminded that in the past, you have rescued me from that deadly peril and you will rescue me again. So we wait upon God. We pray to God, reminding ourselves of his faithfulness. The last one is so important. We ask. We ask God, in the midst of this calamity, in the midst of this overwhelming circumstance, what are you trying to teach me? I think this is the wisest thing most people can ask themselves in the midst of their overwhelming circumstance. God, right now, because for most of us, our heart is most fertile when we're going through those those challenging situations. And so we go through them, I see people who who don't learn from them, who don't wait upon God, who don't ask the right questions, who don't pray, say, God, I trust you're gonna be faithful to me. And so what happens is they make that bad decision and and they don't learn from it, they don't grow from it. And so they end up making the same bad decisions over and over where some people go through a really bad situation and they don't like it, but they say, God, I trust that you're trying to teach me something and and I I pray that you teach me and teach me quickly because I don't wanna get stuck here, but God, teach me the lesson you're trying to teach me so that I can learn and grow through this. See, in the midst of life's overwhelming circumstances, we are often very, very open to being instructed to say, we're not strong enough to handle this ourselves. And so God, teach me what I need to learn right now. Teach me what I need to grow in, in order to be who you want me to be. Life is at times gonna be overwhelming. We're gonna feel like, man, I don't know how to escape this, and I I feel overwhelmed. But to make a choice, I'm either gonna be overwhelmed by my circumstances, or I'm gonna be overwhelmed by God who is above those circumstances. This past week, I had a chance to, to go on, on Monday. I, was, I went down. My mom was having a, a minor surgery, and so I went over to St. Pete. And actually, I was traveling to St. Pete, and it's where I grew up. And, and as I was traveling to St. Pete, I, I drove by. I'd take a detour, and I ended up. I didn't mean to, but I drove right by these basketball courts that I played probably... Uh, almost every day after school, my junior and senior years of high school, I had some friends, we played basketball all the time, and I drove by these courts, and I didn't even realize I was driving by them, and all of a sudden I looked, I'm like, hey, I remember playing basketball there for years, and, and as I, I looked, I, it looked just like it used to look, like the courts looked the same, like I almost felt like if I walked up there, some of my fr- same friends would be out there playing basketball, like that's how it felt, and I looked, and one of the basketball courts, the, the backboard was even the same, like I'm like, it's probably been the same court there the whole time, and then I started to think, it felt like it was just yesterday. I started doing the math from my head. I said it was 24 years ago that I played basketball there. Talk about overwhelming. It felt like it was just yesterday. And some of you guys know what that is like. And then I get to the hospital and I get in the room and I'm about to pray with my mom. And my phone just lights up and, and there's another emergency that's happening. And a short time later, I get another text message about something else. And I remember there were four things that morning that just, I was like, what? And it's only Monday morning. Like, what is happening? Later on that day, my wife texted me and said, hey, how's it going? And I said, mom's in surgery right now. It looks like everything's going well. But today's just been crazy. Like, all this stuff has been happening, it feels really, really overwhelming right now. The crazy thing was, was that through God working, through the prayers and through the love of the church family, just about every one of those situations was worked out by Wednesday night. People in the hospital were no longer in the hospital, stuff that just kind of happened. But in the midst of that circumstance, sometimes life can feel extremely overwhelming. It's in those situations where we say, God, wait a minute. Let me slow my roll down for just a little bit. Let me slow my pace of life down. I don't need to make a decision right now. Let me wait upon you to see what you have for me. Because you've proven yourself faithful, and I want to trust you that you're going to prove yourself faithful again in this situation. And God, I want to ask you as quickly as you can, teach me a valuable lesson. I want to get through this, but I believe you have me here for a reason. This is not an accident. Let's pray.